Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Lawyer Podcast. You find us in the stunning surrounds on the Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire border at the beautiful Luton Hoo Golf Resort and Spa because we're at the Lawyers' Annual General Council Strategies Summit. Christian, have you tried the golf course yet? Uh, No, but if we're lucky, I believe that we will cross later to our international editor, Alex Taylor, uh, who's in the spa. That it would be unmissable, unmissable <laughs> content. Anyway, look, um, here's some context. The GC Strategy Summit is the UK's leading summit for in-house counsel. A hundred GCs come for two days off-site and share experiences. And then, you know, they can be from FTSE giants to government departments and multinationals and VC-backed tech companies, anything. You know, the conversations are always really fascinating and very, very rewarding. It it is. It's a really exciting conference. And we are bringing you this podcast on the ground here. So you might hear the noise of hundreds of GCs mingling about behind us or coffee cups clinking or, you know, people having conversations. So just do forgive us for that. Now, naturally, GCs who often work as their business's problem response unit have certainly been feeling the impact of permacrisis. Um, And permacrisis is in fact the theme for this year's Strategy Summit. We're going to be speaking to some of those GCs who are here and understand the strains on the profession. But first, earlier Kat spoke with our Deputy Editor UK Richard Simmons and our in-house reporter Lucy Cruz about what's on GC's agenda this year. I'm sitting here with Richard Simmons and Lucy Cruz near the end of the first day of the General Council Strategy Summit. Um, And most of the delegates are busy at their roundtables. So we are taking some time to reflect on some of the themes that are emerging um, after the first day. It's been a very, very busy day. Lots of chat, uh, lots of networking. Rich, uh, is there anything that sort of struck you so far that's becoming a bit of a theme amongst these 100 GCs, General Council, that are with us? AI, 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 artificial intelligence is the talk of the conference and I don't think it would have been the talk of the conference two months ago, one month ago even, but it has just jumped to the top of the agenda already. So that's absolutely point number one. It's interesting, isn't it? Because actually the the, the agenda that we put together or that was put together by our colleagues um, had a little bit of it, but it was put together a couple of months ago and you're absolutely right, it has come to the top of the agenda so much so that because we have general counsel from so many different sectors they're all responding very differently to it and I think there are there are some who are actively incredibly excited about the the potential that it's offering and there are others who are very very worried about long-term either societal effects or potentially actually what it means for their sort of composition of their you know the 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 training and the education possibilities. I think that's absolutely right what we do find is no one is in denial about this um they're either worried or excited but they're not ignoring it at all absolutely lucy you've been having lots of conversations today anything else you've been picking up either on ai or or related topics or unrelated topics I think something that's been really interesting that stood out for me is um, there's definitely a lot of talk around sort of lack of junior and mid-level talent that people are really feeling and they're putting it down to a number of reasons versus obviously the attrition that we are seeing in different firms um, uh, and different businesses and also the fact that they still think there's spillover from the hiring freezes that came after the 2008 crash and that's not a sole comment. 
There's also um, a sense that you know they've often had to make do and mend, haven't they, within their teams? They've had to repurpose roles. They've had to rethink. Actually, you know, perhaps these jobs don't have to be done by lawyers, etc. Is there any sort of innovative thinking that you've come across, or people being radical on that level? I think previously people have definitely honed in on secondi resources and that has clearly become less of something that they've been able to focus on because firms just don't have the capacity at the minute so they are looking more and more to upskill in-house. People are doing that by different sort of training academies to focus on career development. Others are trying to leverage AI, um, especially legal operations, um, devoting specific roles to that to try and increase sort of the capacity that their team can work at, especially if they're understaffed. Mm. And there was a, there was certain uh, a, a certain sort of set of discussions around the emotional toll that the last few years have taken on uh, general counsel and their legal teams. Have you been picking up any sort of aftermath of that as well? I can speak to that because I've just been chairing a session on talent retention. Um, there is certainly a level of people wanting a shoulder to cry on uh, throughout the last few years. Um, But I think also GCs are getting the sense that in terms of career development, they can't do it all for their junior staff. And and lawyers can be quite passive in owning their own Mm. careers a lot. And so while GCs uh, need to care about their teams, they can't just be agony aunts and they can't spoon feed their junior lawyers. Uh, So they are having to think quite a lot about actually getting some of their juniors to have a bit more get up and go. That's interesting because there is a, uh, is that could be seen as a hangover from private practice. You know, when you when you join a law firm, it's expected what you're doing at PQE one, two, three, four. You kind of know what the seniority and the tasks sort of involved with that. In in house, it's completely different, isn't it? Yeah, very much different structures of teams and a different way of doing things. And yeah, lawyers who move into that the culture shock is perhaps the wrong word but you have to shift into a different mindset perhaps and and manage your career one of the one of the phrases used was squiggly careers in one of our early sessions and and if you're in-house you have to think in those terms rather than up the ladder rich and lucy thank you very much Kat, you and Rich also chaired a, well, it was a very zinging debate, didn't you? Yes, it was, actually. It was The debate was called um, The Death of the GC, by which we mean the role, obviously not actual GCs. Uh, and we split, we basically split the room into two, and one side had to argue that the GC role, as we know it now, would be obsolete in a few years, and the other side obviously argued the opposite. And um, th- there's a sort of a serious context here, because GCs' roles are now multiple. Bec- you know, they're often head of risk or compliance or people. You know, there's, there's all sorts of tasks, and there's an awful lot of legal ops as well in, involved. Um Big disaggregation also going on, uh, particularly with AI, uh, sort of the, the, the advent of AI. Simple legal tasks are going to get completely changed. So uh, so what what it means to be a GC is going to change a lot. And really the question is, do you need to be a lawyer to be a GC? And funnily enough, I would say that the side that proposed that the GC role would wither away, in other words, would die, that side came up with by far the most cogent arguments. And in kind of university debating club style, um, there was a vote at the end. What did they vote for? Did they vote that the GC role could be done by anyone? You, you know, would it be obsolete as we know it? Well, in a in a stunning result, Christian, you um, 
everyone in the room having argued extraordinarily well for the fact that the jobs, uh, the role would be obsolete. Actually, when it came to the vote, uh, pretty much everyone uh, raised their hands saying that the role would not be obsolete uh, at all. So it was, and everyone found much amusement in that, I have to say. Amazing. So the turkeys did not vote for Absolutely Christmas. Not, but no. judging by the buzz in the room, it did air a lot of new thinking. It, re- it really, really did. It was great to hear. Well, we've spent the day speaking to in-house lawyers who are here at the summit. One of them was Sarah Binder, the GC at tech company Lime, who Kat spoke to earlier. So I'm joined here by Sarah Binder, who's the GC of Lime. Um, And Sarah, you participated in in a really, really fascinating panel earlier today about high-growth companies. Um, And you were on a panel with a number of other GCs who had been in high-growth companies that were now facing particular challenges. Um, Share with us some of your thoughts um, on the topic of a reset, if you like. Thanks, Kat. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really great panel, and I thought, I thought it brought up a lot of issues that not just high growth companies are coping with, but also I think all, all businesses in this environment are, are having to deal with. I think in terms of the high growth areas, though, um, you know, VC backed companies in particular, um, the biggest challenge is that it's no longer all about growth. It's no longer all about that that hockey stick ticking upwards. It's also just as much about what's your path to EBITDA positive, what's your path to being free cash flow positive. I think that investors expect more now from high growth companies, that it's not enough just to deliver the growth. You really do have have to have a path to be profitable much quicker than would have been expected, um, you know, know, a a few years ago. I think that in terms of how that sort of shows up um, within the general counsel space, I think you know, undoubtedly, cost cutting is in, um, which in the growth space it certainly wasn't. I do think that actually there are some benefits for a general counsel, which is I think it has meant that many both VC investors but also VC backed leadership thinks more about the longer term now and so thinks about risk in a broader way because you no longer have the same expectation that you know you're going to be able to go out and fundraise another round within within 12 months. Um, I think, and I think that makes a big difference to how people people view risk. And I think from a general counsel's perspective, actually, that that's quite helpful. Um, I think the other thing that we talked about, which I think is is really important, and really it's the most important thing, is how you manage people and teams through that change. Um, because it's incredibly disruptive. And one of the things that we talked about as a panel, which is that change doesn't necessarily bring out the best in people and it doesn't necessarily bring out the best in performance it evol- it requires you to reset what matters what your strategy is what your expectations are what you're choosing to prioritize it can mean that someone's job in within a legal function can really change quite materially because the things you told them to care about yesterday you're now asking them to not care about today so i think that being transparent about change explaining to people to your teams why change is happening um is is really really important to ensuring that you've got the right um you're set up right to sort of go through this this next stage that we're now in and on that note, we've, we have John O'Reilly here, and he's GC of Kodak Alaris. Um, John, you, in your uh, panel discussion that you were on, which is called Leading Through the Permacrisis, um, uh, you talked uh, very cogently about the emotional toll on your team and perhaps also on you as a general counsel and on all general counsel um, that, that everyone has been experiencing over the last couple of years. Yes, thank you, Kat. As is always the case in the crisis, it's all hands to the pump, and, and that Um, all of that work fell on fewer shoulders and um, 
I, I could certainly see, you know, many people around me, my peers, my colleagues, you know, um, struggling, you, you know, um, I made the analogy this morning of it, you know, it's a bit like, you know, going 10 or 11 rounds in the boxing ring, you know, um, but I think we have also learnt a number of things from the pandemic, which we've taken into normal business practice now. So um, we have formalised a, a crisis management team. Um, we have got um, you know, individuals who are assigned roles and responsibilities uh, on that on that team, and we have um, put our business through various different planning scenarios so that we are you know, better placed should there be um, you know, another crisis, whatever whatever that could be in the future. So I feel that we're in a, a better place now, a stronger place. Do you think that the sort of the emotional burden that has uh, lain on the shoulders of leaders within business and you know like GCs is that is is that exhausting well I think it can be when it's uh, day in day out um, and then it becomes you know relentless and um, at the end of the day we all we're all human beings and and human beings can be ground down uh, so I think it is important to look back um, and although there were dark days during that that period um, I think it's important to recognize you know the little wins in there you know what did we actually achieve and and I think um, you know to say to the employees at the end of that that the business survived it's in a healthy state um, it's not you know reliant on third-party financing etc um, you know that uh, that sets us up in a very nice place to go forward so um, you know, I think employees can probably quickly forget those things and it's important to keep reminding employees actually of of, uh, of, of what they you know, achieved uh, during that crisis. They were Sarah Binder from Lime and John O'Reilly from Kodak. A downside of moving in-house is that in-house teams are regularly branded as fun sponges, idea killers, the department of no. Associate General Counsel and Leader of Legal Operations at luxury brand Chanel, Cécile Kilak, spoke to me earlier about how to avoid that image. So first of all, what we're trying to really um, uh, change in terms of mindset is the fact that we are not uh, in our ivory tower. We really are part of the business. So part of the business is becoming a business enabler uh, and being able to try to find solutions as well as identify the risk. So it's really also seeing ourselves as part of the business. And I mean, particularly when you have lawyers coming in to the business who perhaps have only been in private practice or maybe in a different environment at another firm, uh, at another company, how do you sort of integrate them to make sure that they appreciate that? So the first things, and it really what makes a difference between um, working in private practice and working in house is actually your actually part of a business so you need to understand the business so being curious about the business priorities and even what they what what business is doing visiting manufacturing sites asking questions going as far as Chanel is concerned into our boutiques and seeing really what are the business um, uh, issues and priorities so this is really the difference um, to really to really better adapt your very great legal expertise to uh, a much more commercial and business business um, oriented and, and you know some of it is it's also about knowing the basic d- 
data in the legal team, isn't it? And, and being able to explain to the rest of the business what that is so they understand where you're coming from. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes we feel that um, that our legal people are, are too shy to talk about what, what, um, what they bring, the added value that they bring, the, the legal issues, which are actually business issues too. So what we're trying to also do is ensuring that they have the right elevator speech, that they are able to uh, show their impact, tell what they do, so that the business understands uh, it and can you know there's a better collaboration so uh, it's also about some key uh, well key activity uh, indicators what we were what we're trying to work on is ensuring that we have a global overview of the number of matter that we're working on the number of contract that we're working on that we're also able to filter them by impact to, to the business and also by level of risk so that we can really focus uh, on uh, on the right topic when we talk about topic to the business but really based on um, data we have the data and then we can use them to best um, best um, uh, elaborate our points that was Cecile Kelak now, for in-house counsel, the booming legal recruitment market last year created its own problems. Earlier, Christian caught up with Molly Stoker, the current deputy GC at Ocado and the soon-to-be GC at UK soft drink manufacturer Britvic. Earlier, Molly, you were on a panel about retention and engagement. We talk a lot here at The Lawyer about uh, the issues in recruitment and retention at private practice firms, but part of the issues with recruitment at private practice firms is that's having a flow-on effect for in-house counsel as well. Why is it so hard to recruit and retain at the moment? Yeah, no, so we had a really good discussion where we talked about the three Cs, so that's culture, compensation and career path. And I'd probably overlay that with a fourth C being COVID, seeing as we're still dealing with the impact uh, of the pandemic. Um, so if I take culture first, we talked about needing to have fun with your teams. Um, we talked about the impact of COVID in different businesses. So I was in one where we were flat out, couldn't work hard enough, couldn't grow quickly enough. Um, so, you know, the team got pretty burnt out after the pandemic. For others... Uh, where the business pretty much shut shop, but the legal team was still having to work with deleted resources. Um, they had a hard time too. So, you know, different impacts on different teams. But ultimately, we're all dealing with now the hybrid working um, model. And some of the things we've been thinking about are how we bring people together and how we have fun together. So we talked about at Ocado having more time as a full team in the office together, even though we don't have enough seats to to cope with all the people who joined since before the pandemic. Um, so we've been borrowing law firms, um, offices, and just talked about sitting in the canteen together and having lunch and just doing those kind of fun things. So that was culture. Compensation, always a difficult one, especially when you put in-house um, roles in conjunction with private practice salaries at the moment and when newly qualified lawyers are earning more than many of the senior in-house lawyers. So it's definitely tricky. And one of the things I've done is really focus on the individuals, really listened to them, and then spent a lot of time getting the right benchmarking done. So having really open, transparent and honest conversations with them. So they might still feel they're not paid as much as they should be, but they can see that I'm making an effort for them and that makes all the difference. Uh, we also talked in terms of compensation just about some companies where 
tech companies pay more money um, than other you know companies so it's challenging when even when you think it's within your own sector you, if you're in the tech sector you might have Google and Facebook salaries which are more than other people's salaries so you're even challenged within the in-house environment on that front. It, I mean, it, again, we love to talk about money, but it's not really all about money, is it? I mean, I mean, it, you know, it, obviously, if people wanted to earn the the top dollar, they'd go to the top US firm or something like that. That's right. So, 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 what do you say to people that you know uh, 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 takes you apart? Oh well, we asked um, in one of the round tables earlier: um, Has anyone seen anyone go back into private practice from their teams? And the answer was a resounding no. So. That must be something to do with culture, absolutely, and being in the business and feeling part of something and having purpose. So earlier we also talked about the Daniel Pink book, Drive, where people need mastery, autonomy and purpose to thrive in an organisation. So that brings me to like the third C, which is career path, and it's all really about the development of your team and taking the time out to have individual conversations, really... Um, focused personal development plans so they can see where they are so I do something called a from and a to where are you now and by this time next year say or next three years where do you want to be and we write it out very fully I am a lawyer who has a specialism in x but I want to become a lawyer who has more breadth um, who manages people whatever it is so you're really pinning it down and then you have really precise, smart actions with your personal development plan. So I think people are used to objectives, their um, business objectives being very smart, but they don't necessarily do that with their personal development plans. Um, I also do 30, 60, 90 day plans with um, the team so that they're really focused on where am I going in even the next 90 days and how is that going to take me to the next step? We also talked about how people don't always need to stay and actually it's really healthy to have churn in your team for diversity, for freshness, for opportunity for those. You know, in-house teams are generally quite flat structures so it's hard to see what's next. So we talked about secondments um, and other opportunities that people could have even to move out of legal roles. That was Molly Stoker. Our final guest is actually not a general counsel at all. Rather, Adam Woodhall is the CEO and founder of Lawyers for Net Zero, an organisation that encourages in-house counsel to help stop climate change. Christian caught up with him earlier. Adam, I think, I mean, to start off with, I think it's probably important for you, uh, for you to just explain to us who are Lawyers for Net Zero. So Lawyers for Net Zero, we are a non-profit which is focused on supporting general counsel and their teams to take leadership on climate and ESG issues and uh, we do that mainly through our leaders program that is provided which is a peer-to-peer program helping GCs build uh, their learning and insight through their peers and also motivation to, to, to lean into something that actually might seem that it's somebody else's job. And it's not that we're suggesting GCs are going to be the heads of sustainability. It's actually about how the GC proactively contributes to the business's uh, opportunities because they are a corporate leader. Yeah, and, and we do often focus on private practice in terms of the role that they play in terms of climate change and fossil fuels. But you believe that GCs are almost uniquely well-placed to you know, make change in these enormous corporations around the world. 
Absolutely. There is this unique opportunity um, because the GC has a ticket to the, the top table and that's because they are uh, the chief lawyer. And um, once you get to be the GC of uh, a large business or organization, you actually become effectively a key business advisor. And because you can say, so there's a risk of greenwashing here, or we've got, so we, we might have faced some problems over here. We, uh, when you actually then, if you're backing what the sustainability director is saying, actually that's going to be taken uh, very seriously. And when you get in there and you're talking to GCs, what are the sort of challenges that they're suggesting that they face, you know, with, with perhaps changing the way they go about their business to, to perhaps make things better for climate change? Mm. So the key challenge is actually finding the time to be able to prioritise it because the GC is very used to actually juggling balls and they're being given increasing number of balls with data protection, risk, compliance, whatever it might be. So now it's like, oh, are you giving me this extra green ball now? And the challenge is actually how do they prioritise? Because whereas with other things, like say GDPR, there was a deadline. You had to achieve it by then and you've got to keep on doing it or you might get hauled over the coals. If actually uh, some things don't, apart from a few cases, there's not that much of a burning platform. But there's a lot of desire and a lot of need within the organization, within the team, within the individuals uh, themselves to take action on this. And so it's about how do we help the GC through this peer-to-peer -peer process um, keep moving get, get and get the momentum going within their team and then support the momentum, which will already be going in their organization to increase pace. That was Adam Woodhall from Lawyers for Net Zero. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our coverage of the GC Strategy Summit from this uh, uh, very English backdrop here in the countryside. That is all we've got time for on this episode of The Lawyer Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at podcast.thelawyer.com and, of course, you can find out more about everything we've been discussing at thelawyer.com. We'll be back again in a fortnight, but until then, goodbye. goodbye.